this is a town that needs to get away with it on a really frequent basis and gin's the thing that lets you lets you do it. Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. The holiday season is upon us. And with that comes the ordeal of trying to think of a present for your loved ones. My friends at SippingLiquor.com have made it easy this year for any cocktail lover. Sign up for one of their gift memberships, and you'll find a different spirit landing on your doorstep each month. Is there any gift better than that? Not for those who live a lush life. Make sure you use the code LUSHLIFE at checkout for £10 off your order. Brighton Gin may have started off as a small producer, but after winning UK's Best Gin at the People's Drink Awards, they will soon be taking the world by storm. Today we head down south, south of London that is, to one of the most vibrant cities in the UK, Brighton, a city that needed its own gin, and our guest today, Kathy Caton, was just the woman for the job. Now, you started life as a BBC presenter. It's, I've spent a long, long time getting myself to a place where, um, where I was working for the BBC. Uh, and actually, I'm still in, involved in BBC in different ways. For example, the, uh, the Archers have got a gin storyline at the moment on Radio 4, and um, I'm the script consultant for that, which is amazing, because there aren't very many intersections between gin and radio but that has been the one the one bit of crossover did you go to them um they so actually the so i used to um when i was working at radio 4 worked with the commissioning editors um and the drama commissioning editor dropped me a line saying we're thinking about running this we heard that gin's a thing we're thinking about running a storyline do you want to be involved i was like yes of and I so do. do they drop the name brighton gin every two minutes sadly not <laughs> sadly not although the uh, the guy who's been uh, been making the the gin Early in the storyline, was coming down to Brighton on a fairly regular basis. So, but what you had to be in the know to know that he might be coming to, to see Brighton Gin. And um, so, how can someone listen to the Gin story? Is it still on? It's it's probably in the way that it goes with the Archers. It'll probably run for another five years. But be prepared; you're going to get lots of kind of panto season in the Archers at the moment. So it's not, you know, it's a it's a hard listen. I'm intrigued for somebody who never listened to The Arches. I yeah. kind of want to listen to it now. I didn't know that they had alcohol-related yeah. stories. And actually, it's been really, it's been a really fascinating process to find out actually how seriously they research all of these things and think like, okay, is this the right, is this the right sound effect for a 25 litre still? Is you know, is this the sound of a screw cap that's right? It's like, oh no, it's not actually that. You'd be using a cork at this stage or mm-hmm. things like that. It's really interesting. And ridiculous. How well. funny that you would have started at the BBC, 
begun Brighton Gin and then gone back to the BBC with your Brighton Gin. Exactly. I don't don't know how many chances there are going to be for that to cross over that often, but it's it's pretty exciting. But also it shows then how blooming massive gin is if it's being then reflected through a drama on Radio 4. Mm -hmm. So actually that's for it to have kind of come into the consciousness of that, that there is this boom in craft booze and it's such a spirit that is um iconic to uh britain as is the arches of course yeah absolutely and i think that's one of the amazing things about gin actually is not only that we've actually there's a there's a british food and drink product where we can actually properly say this is the best in the world without being lying about it or anything (laughs) actually this is a thing that we can do really really well um, I went to, probably a couple of years ago now, she did, did an event in the square outside the EU Parliament, which was incredibly exciting, where every country in the EU was represented by the best of its food and drink. It was fairly telling that uh, for Great Britain, there, there was no food, there was only gin, but there were amazing, mm-hmm. amazing gins. Mm-hmm. There. It was like, actually, this is a thing that we get to be really good at. So did you love gin before you were at the BBC? I have always loved gin and I'm so glad that it's having its moment in the sun because I'm old enough that I can remember being laughed at for drinking gin when I was at when I was studying uh, because it was seen as oh that's my nan's drink and it was seen as as really you know an old drink to have with a bit of warm lemon no ice to be seen maybe flat tonic it was it really had a terrible terrible Mm -hmm. reputation Um, but I've always loved it and I've always found it completely forgiving I think it lets you get away with it and that was for me the whole thing about wanting to make Brighton gin because this is a town that needs to get away with it on a really frequent basis and gin's the thing that lets you lets you do it. All right we're going to come to that in, in a little while about how you started it but what what were you studying at university? Um, actually I went to a that's about 100,000 years ago but I went to a went to a drama school um, went to uh, so directly to a drama school so yeah I had a, had a year off between mm-hmm school and did some did some traveling and then yeah went to went to drama school to do a, a drama degree realized very very quickly that I was never going to be uh large because I'd struggle with remembering lines to be honest and um, you went to a very good drama school right yeah, I went you went to, to central went to central which central is one of the best of, uh, of speech and drama mm-hmm. and uh and what's quite exciting now actually because it is a it's a long time ago seeing you know some of my my friends and colleagues who've then kind of gone on to, to achieve great success in all sorts of different fields which is you know, it's just a really exciting thing and I've become very proud actually of having trained trained there. How um, long after did you realize okay maybe this acting thing isn't for actually, me? I am um, I've got one of those careers in the most inverted of commas that actually only makes sense when you look back at it because when I was at uh, Central so living in London incredibly expensive as a student so I was in my last year I'd worked in record shops and then was working in record shop and also in a pub during my last year at, at Central um, and ended up then being involved in the pub and a pub theatre so there was kind of this this crossover of my dual loves of booze and pubs because I <laughs> do I love a pub um, and, and theatre as well and really kind of liked the idea of, of pub theatre and that you can one act plays that are you know 12 to 15 minutes long so you can they could actually be as long as someone drinking a pint i really like the idea of you know culture that you can you can access in different um access in different spaces 
If, um, it, if only you could look back to that pub and and remember what gins were on the shelf there. Oh, it, it must have been, been like gorgeous. two, right? <laughs> two gins. Yeah, I think they're really, yeah. And I'm fairly sure all through. Um, and, and I suppose we should, you know, applaud Gordon's mm-hmm. for having been there mm. all the all the way through. There was probably beef eater as well, but that would have been outside of my budget. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it was definitely only Gordon's at my student bar at, at Central. And you think how many gins are at pubs now? Absolutely, yeah. and the fact that there are the the, re, the rebirth of the gin palace, mm-hmm. the, the amount of knowledge that people have—it's just even in the time that um, that Brighton Gin's been going, what people know and their interest is just it's extraordinary mm-hmm. um so you know it, it used to be when kind of first going out tasting tastings and getting people to to try stuff there'd be lots about oh actually how's gin made how do you and now people are demonstrating with their what are, your, what are your botanicals what's your production process so they know much more about it and people yeah really really know their stuff which is great, actually. Keeps us on our toes as well. Uh, it's fantastic. And it's, you know, I, I was, I've been interviewing so many gin, people involved with gins, mm. and everyone does something different. And it's really exciting for the spirit. But back to you and the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yes, so um, I've always, always loved, loved gin, I have to say, because it lets you get away with it. Mm. And certainly when I was commuting from Brighton up to London, the only late night that you could survive the next day with getting on the you know, half past six train up to London as if we'd been on the on the gins. Wait, were you always a Brighton person? Uh, no, moved. I'm coming up for my 18th Brighton okay. birthday, which mm-hmm. is very exciting, and an excuse for a party mm-hmm. next next year. Uh, no, I've. Um, it took me a, a long time to waft my way here, and I've been kicking myself ever since that I didn't find it sooner. <laughs> I just I think it's a fantastic, fantastic place. Not without its problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that whatever you're into, whatever you're interested in, whether it's, you know, clean eating or going to see eight different bands a night or any of those things, you can find it here. Mm-hmm. There are a thousand different brightness. I really, really love that. It's by the sea as well, so not that I get in it very often, but <laughs> It, that's it, that's just a nice thing to have a long horizon is a really good thing. So you were commuting mm. from um, Brighton to from Brighton to, to the BBC yeah. every day, every day, and actually that was one of the one of the things that that make the gin possible is that I was a captive person on a train for mm-hmm. generally ninety minutes each each direction. I didn't get much done in the morning. I was asleep a lot of the time but actually that was a really good, good kind of focused time to do thinking and mm-hmm. researching and writing and to kind of pull around this this idea and think oh is this actually is this doable how have other people done it how can I go from being a, a passionate enthusiast about something which is not so that I'm raving dipsomaniac but but you know really had always so you were gin. still continuously drinking gin yeah while you were not Sounds obviously terrible. separate, while you were busy, it was just. But yeah, when oh yeah, did it become? Was it a train ride? I know you've said in in other interviews that you know you were jogging, but there had to be a moment when you said, "Okay, you know, this is a passion of mine, mm. so much so that I'd want to leave." You know what I'm doing at yeah, the BBC. I, mean, I, think that, I suppose there are a couple of bits to it. One was that the um, there was that sort of genuine light light bulb moment of mm-hmm. being out from down the seafront and just thinking, God, I wouldn't be doing, if I'd been drinking anything else, I wouldn't be off my sofa, mm-hmm. let alone, albeit not very fast, but going going for a run. And yeah, well, a lot of people may think that, but they don't start <laughs> a gin company. But that's, and, and there was also that thing of going, 
but I definitely want it to be called Brighton Gin. I'd already decided by the time I got got back to my flat that if anyone else was trying to make something called because there are always bubbles in, in ideas mm-hmm. and thought, if anyone else is trying to make something called Brighton Gin then I take my hat off to them and they've, they've put me to it uh, so the first thing actually was trying to find out actually if anyone was doing something specifically called Brighton Gin um, and they weren't so it was then it was like right okay now I'm going to find out how to do it um, and, and how long did that process take? It took blooming ages. Not just because <laughs> you, you only find out when things... Well, I only find out, but you find out a lot when stuff goes wrong. I'm really glad that there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know at the beginning. Regulatory stuff and all the things that actually might have just made the, made the, uh, the too difficult mm-hmm. light come on. And were you doing this on the commute, back doing and forth? On, doing this on the commute, chatting to, to people endlessly, including, I mean, in the... The background here is uh, Ellie, who's one of my best mates and has tolerated this since it was an idea. We were in the pub and I was going, oh, I've had this idea and I want to make gin. I want it to be Brighton gin. Um, and I love that she's here and works here and, and is involved in it and has, yeah, seen. Because, you know, Brighton's a place where a lot of ideas happen in, in pubs every night. It's a great place to get things started and to have those, those ideas, but the thing is about then also doing the slog to make stuff happen Mm -hmm. Um, and certainly there is a really exhausting bit of life whereas working working full-time at BBC doing a a fairly a a fascinating but pretty stressful job plus the long commute then coming back and distilling gin. We were doing two two jobs really. Yeah Mm -hmm. and I think that that's a I think for lots of the kind of the small startups that haven't necessarily got a lot of cash behind them, I think that's a very familiar tale, mm-hmm. um, and that thing of just juggling stuff. I mean, I have gone grey during the process. <laughs> my my eyes will see never it. ever ever go back in again. Um, but I've got to accept that this is now how I look. But uh, but I think that is quite a common experience that people say actually, and and that's where you have then have the tipping point of going well not only that's not sustainable for mm-hmm. forever it's really really not but going okay this looks like it could be a goer is it time to take a, a when do you think phase? that point was um it was i think it was probably when it was actually you know, completely doing seven days a week and doing in effect two full-time mm-hmm. jobs and then going but how are there even enough hours to do that was it a taste and then i mean thinking, was it a taste of what Brighton Gin would be? I, I mean, I literally a physical mm, taste. Mm. You know, did you make something that said, oh yeah, this is it? I think it was a, a feeling of of potential momentum behind mm. something. And also in the context well of the, the BBC going through one of its many uh, kind of reinventions and soul searching and, and lots of uh, you know, redundancies and shuffling and, and stuff like that. And thinking, okay... Radio will always be a passion for me. I will always absolutely love audio and radio. I just think it's amazing. Um, but also that was going through a lot of restructuring, which I can really struggle in one mm-hmm. world or actually take a gamble and a huge gamble on this other other thing and see see where we can go with it. 
I'm kind of, as you're speaking, I'm kind of envisioning an old Judy Garland, uh, Mickey Rooney movie. Like, let's put on a show. Uh, You know what I mean? It's like, let's buy a still. (laughs) And, you know, just because of your acting background, you know, let's buy a still and make something. And was it kind of like that? Let's make a, let's buy a still and... Pretty and much make like it. that, exactly, and that's why. So on uh, on top of the cupboard, there is is still number two because still number one was a glass still, and I blew it up now, unfortunately. <laughs> incident. Um, still number two uh, is what we used to to make the create the recipe mm-hmm. and to learn how to distill. But it really was that thing of a, you know, let's put on a show right here in the barn. Mm-hmm. That was on my kitchen hob in my tiny little flat with only about three inches clearance above this the swan neck and my <laughs> ceiling all the things and now i'm just like oh my god it was all so dangerous but you know like, well let's get to it? the let's get to the botanicals then since yeah. you brought it up um mm. how did you even start all right you knew you liked gin and you Love had some junipers and, so. and had a really uh and one of the things that i'm not ashamed of talking about at all is actually what we've ended up with recipe wise is really different from what originally thought we should and, and, and would be doing um, and actually we've now got a, a really a, a very simple recipe but one where every single thing that's in the bottle uh, it does something <laughs> um, and and it wasn't until uh, actually uh, distilled all of the all of these different botanicals that I wanted to use separately all under the same conditions and then we would taste them separately and going why, why do we Yes, this is fun to play with, but what does it actually add? Let's just, yeah, strip things, strip things out. And all sorts of things I thought would be delicious then turned out not to be. So you did them separately. So how did you figure out what made the perfect combination? By a, a lot of tasting and testing and getting it wrong. Actually, there was a, a lot of, um, you know, trying to say, like, okay, we've got a vague idea of what portions are there, there were some things that I definitely thought that I'd wanted to use that then tasting them individually it's like no I just you know black pepper can bring brilliant things to gins but not to this one so that was out, one of the things that was out pretty pretty quick mm-hmm. um, and it's just about trying to really kind of tweak the um, the proportions to get something that's balanced and is smooth enough to to drink meat is a gin that you want to have more than one of because that's one of the whole joys of, of gin is you know it's not I don't think it should just be a single single drink it's one that you want to you know stick on and enjoy um, and that thing kind of blending blending them and then going right okay that's now I've got proportions now let's let's repeat the the distillation and and see if it makes something that's that's you know it's it's hard with a, with a small batch thing to get a, an absolute consistency um, because there are variations in, in it every time. Um, but it was very much about what can we do to make sure that it's repeatable so that your Brighton Gin is always going to taste a Brighton Gin. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, obviously you did this perfectly well because you have just won an award. We've had a blue and amazing year on, on that front. Uh, we're incredibly excited that um, we were voted the UK's best gin in the People's Drink Awards. Uh, which is just amazing for us. Not least because we're, you know, we're based in based in Brighton on the south coast. You, until very recently, you've not been able to get us all the way around the country. So for this this panel of people from around the UK to say yes, this is the best, the best. 
gin has been fantastic. And just so everyone knows, this was a blind tasting. Blind tasting, yeah. And one of the um, great things about how the People's Drink Awards have been Mm -hmm. one is that they are so they're run by by industry um, superstars, really real real professionals. But actually, they're people from every walk of life, all all areas of the country. So it's about actually what do people really really like which has just been amazing for us, fantastic. Especially for neat gin, which a lot of people don't really mm. drink gin neat. Absolutely, and I'd really encourage anyone to give it, to, to try gins neat, actually. And I think the, there's always that parallel between, say you were going to spend 40 quid on a bottle of whiskey, most people you know, would, would at least nose it neat or, mm-hmm. or try it with just a drop of water or, or an ice cube or whatever. And I'd really strongly, if you're going to spend that amount of money potentially on a, on a handmade gin do the same thing um, and it's I think the, the easiest way to so you can find out actually what is the quality of the of the alcohol of the liquid is it is it warming is it burning can, it's really worth doing even if you then go right okay now I'm going to turn it straight into gin and tonic every time you get a new bottle of a different different gin give it a give it a spin and I think it's going to be really interesting to see that I can see when I go to pubs actually more people are are drinking gins neat sipping gins don't know if it'll ever be as massive as the gin and tonic the gin and tonic is the most perfect drink that was ever invented so probably not but it's but it's a different way to try it and also in a world where there's there's such variety that you know try these things and of course the gin and tonic with all you know because there's so many gins taste different with every gin that you try absolutely Mm. with every with every gin with every tonic with your garnishes even your your ice all of those things can really uh, affect it but i also think just playing around with stuff is a is a great thing as well so you know garnish wise for example we we use fresh orange peel as one of our botanicals and we recommend if you're having a a bright gin and tonic that you have a, a slice of fresh orange with it but also you can go for something that's not in not in there at all uh, and I again encourage people to play around with their their gin serve. So you can you can use something that's in one of the botanicals if you really like that and want to accentuate it. Or I mean I love our gin with uh, lemon thyme. Just get a smack mm. of lemon thyme, give it a, a, a smack and shove it in the top of your glass. Same with mint on a hot summer's day, which we're quite a long way away from at the moment, but they they will come again. And actually that thing of being playful with it, I think. And have just having a look at what's around in your kitchen. Don't necessarily do that thing of, oh, but I can only use a sprig of rosemary that's been plucked by moonlight. So, no, just try some different stuff. Play around with it. Well, and being playful. Mm. Of course, one of your most iconic drinks Absolutely. is the Brighton Rock. Oh, it's, which is, it can, can be divisive. Yes. <laughs> you know, on one hand, we've, we've made this, you know, organic, super premium gin, mm-hmm. which then actually, if you plonk in a, a chunk of, Brighton Rock, which is basically almost entirely sugar, uh, and, a, and a few colourings. It can. It's a bit of a mixed, a mixed message, but it does actually really add something to the to the drink. And in terms of encouraging people to try, perhaps people who've who've been put off trying a gin and tonic or or put off by the tonic thing, that chunk of rock floating around in it, which gradually changes the colour, unless you guzzle your drink very fast, like I would tend to do. Um, but it also adds a kind of almost a creme de menthe, minty, minty note to it. It really works. And how did you conceive of it? Was it just something that you thought, this is, is well, obvious? There, well, see, there are lots of... Um, so, so like I was talking about the, the fresh mint serve with the gin. There's also the thing that actually we've tried really hard with everything Brighton gin shape to draw on the things that make Brighton Brighton and the stuff you associate with it. 
and the whole thing of yeah, Brighton Rock with its its lettering running all the way through it. Again, iconic it's, to England as well. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and actually, one of the things we've found to be very recently been in uh, Berlin at um, the massive massive bar show there, and uh, with our Six Rock, which was in England, everyone knows you know Six Rocks from mm-hmm. the from the seaside. And suddenly we're going, okay, well actually this is a this is a candy that's associated with the seaside. And oh no, we're explaining a sweet actually rather than talking about the the drinks. So that's you know that's going to be an interesting different different thing to. It's like oh, we suddenly turned into people who are selling selling sweets. Um, it is a beautiful drink, and oh, uh, you know, you. and I think the rock as well brings out the color of that you've chosen. Of course, that is also iconic to Brighton. Because the color of your, um, of your, uh, let me say that again, it, the, your wax that covers the, um, the stopper is a Brighton, is Brighton blue. Yes. So and that is painted, Brighton. right, on the... Absolutely. It's on, it's on the seafront railings. Right. It's the back of the beach huts. It's the taxis. You suddenly start seeing it everywhere. And it's, it's a colour known as, as Brighton Seafront Blue. I see it completely as green. And some people see it really as, really as blue. And it, but it's somewhere in the, in the middle. So it's, you know, the downs and the sea and all of those, those things combined. Um, and as you can tell from the various things lying around, quite hard to replicate. So we've got, we, we have a bit of a spectrum with our, with our colour. That's fine. Well, all this chat about your gin. I want to try this drink. Brilliant. So How go, would you like to try should it? Should we just go taste it? Let's do it. All right. If you can't get down to Brighton, then you can definitely think of Brighton every time you sip your mulled gin. Thank goodness Kathy went running on the pier or we would never have Brighton gin. Although we talked about the Brighton Rock cocktail, which is technically a Brighton gin and tonic but garnished with a chunk of candy rock instead of fruit, I thought I would choose one of their seasonal cocktails, their mulled gin, as our cocktail of the week. Plop all the following ingredients into a saucepan on the hob. One whole orange sliced, 350 mLs of Brighton gin, 700 mLs of apple juice, 100 mLs of red vermouth, 25 mLs of cherry brandy, the juice of two limes, and two cinnamon sticks. Heat it all up, but don't let the mixture boil. Then you just pour the hot mixture into a glass, but not a thin one or it might crack, and pop in a cinnamon stick. There you have it. Remember, you can find all the recipes for my cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. Don't forget to head to sippingliquor.com to treat your loved ones to a new spirit monthly. Use the code LUSHLIFE at the checkout for £10 off your order. Next time on a Lush Life podcast... We sit down with someone who has guided me through the ins and outs of the spirit world. I met Tom Soden at a mocktail tasting competition two years ago, and I have thought of him as my spiritual guru ever since that night. Everyone in the industry knows him, and I was lucky enough to meet him by chance at a random event. But as we see in life, nothing is random. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of a Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde. 
all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar. Bye.